Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 26th of November 2019. I'm your host, the Real Deal Quinn, discussing the world of sports and pop culture. As always, we are streaming live here on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we will this podcast, of course, will be available to all my uh, audience on YouTube anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes after the program, after the podcast is ended. Also, you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, apple.itunes.com, Blog Talk Radio, and a number of other various platforms. Uh, I will, again, put this on Blog Talk Radio sometimes, sometime earlier tomorrow or, uh, tomorrow morning, so you'll be able to uh, catch me on that. Um, to begin without, to begin with, no Lamar Jackson just wouldn't be doing any justice to this program and to what he's doing doing at this particular moment. Um, another dominant performance from Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens for that matter. 45-6 as they just toyed with the St. Louis, excuse me, the Los Angeles Rams um, in, in, you know, at the Coliseum. Of course, the Rams would be in their uh, state-of-art facility next year, but uh, it wouldn't matter where this game was played. This was a woodshed special, and they, you know, the Rams, put the Rams aside for a minute. We know they're going to be struggling to make the playoffs. We know that they're not nowhere near where they have been, where they were at last year, which was a team that made it to the Super Bowl. Um, Baltimore right now not only has the MVP of the league, they have right now the best team in football. When you look at what they can do with that running game, and when you can look at how their defense is playing, Probably the deepest, deepest secondary in the in the sport right now, and you know you, I, I'm very interested to see San Francisco against them next week. San Francisco, uh, along with New England, have have longer. New England has been the dominant defense in the NFL this season. They have they are playing at a historic level from a, uh, in terms of their pass defense, but they're hard, they're tough to run against and. Tough to run against as well, but they do have a you know a enough speed on their defense that should give Baltimore its biggest challenge up until this point. Even a more even a bigger challenge in New England. And as good as the greatest New England's defense has played, San, I think San Francisco defense probably from top to bottom is better in terms of, of, of the speed. I think now, listen, Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick, so you know their schemes are going to be better than anybody's schemes in in the league. Because you know we're talking we're talking a all time great iconic coach here, but that is for next week. Right now, again, Lamar Jackson is the MVP of the league. Um, the difference between what you've seen him do versus what Michael Vick did and what uh, say some other guys RG RG three did in 2012 is that the team can win a championship. This is a legit Super Bowl caliber team. I don't think any running quarterback has ever been on a Super Bowl caliber team that legitimately had a chance to win the Super Bowl. I mean, again, I know some of those Eagles teams back in the day with Randall Cunningham had great defenses. I mean, without, you know, Reggie, Reggie, Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons, they were loaded. Eagles had loaded defenses, but they never had a championship caliber offense. Let's be honest, offensive line um, is good. As exciting as Cunningham was, he had limitations. Um, limitations and again the teams that they were facing back then they weren't you know Cowboys and the 49ers who ran you know those two teams were just and controlled the NFC the NFC East was loaded 
So you never got the sense that the Eagles were ever going to win a Super Bowl back then. Um, again, the, you know, Michael Vick, Atlanta has some good, has some playoff caliber teams. Again, but again, never had a championship caliber team. This Baltimore team is a legit Super Bowl contender right now. I think they are nine to two behind New England and New Orleans. They are nine to two to win the Super Bowl. Behind uh, New England and, and also New, in New Orleans, which makes sense because they're in the same conference as New England. Again, you think New England seeing them a second time would be advantage New England. Um, home field advantage. I think. I listen. I think home field. I think New England has to have home field advantage to beat Baltimore. I think Baltimore can go to New England and win in New England. To be honest with you, that defense can travel. That running game can travel anywhere. A running game could travel anywhere. So uh, right now, Baltimore is playing at a high level. You have Lamar Jackson shutting everybody up, including myself, with the way he's played. He's played, again, the thing about him that stands out, 24 touchdowns, five interceptions. He does not turn over the football. He doesn't turn over the football. You can, you can look at all the highlight plays. You can look at all the spectacular runs, you know, the flick of the wrist, throwing the ball, the – Interception touchdown ratio, all these numbers that, you know, he's going to break the quarterback rushing record, you know, multiple five touchdown games. He doesn't turn over the football. Bottom line. So to me, that has been as, as much as, you know, we can talk about what he's doing with his legs, as much as we can talk about the fact that he might be the MVP, the fact that he does not turn over the football, I've been as impressed with that as anything. Because a quarterback, your job, you, your job is to protect the football. There are a number of quarterbacks on in this league that are putting the putting forget about just interceptions. They're just fumbling left and right. They're putting the football, putting the ball on the ground, and you know in a, in a league where most of these games are going to be are going to be decided in the fourth quarter, it could be the difference between it could be the difference between winning and losing a game. So, again, showdown next week: Baltimore and San Francisco. Uh, rematch of the Super Bowl, you know, with last time Baltimore won the Super Bowl, last time San Francisco was in the Super Bowl. Um, you have a, you have two teams, but coming off, are going to be coming off, you know, just, you know, beat downs in terms of what they did to their opponents, what they did to their quality opponents. We'll get to San Francisco later on in the podcast in a couple minutes. But um, again, right now you're looking at the MVP of the league. Uh, listen, I, I love what Russell, what Russell uh, Wilson is doing in Seattle. We know that they don't. That defense is not great. We know that they, you know, Tyler Lockett has been, you know, banged up. Uh, we know that they don't have a lot of great offensive weapons. They have a very good running game, but right now, I, I'm, you have to go with Lamar Jackson right now as the MVP. Now, again, five games left in the season, still time, still a lot of time left to be decided for for that for that particular award, but. Uh, there's no one playing right now. There's no quarterback playing better right now than one Lamar uh, Jackson at this particular time. New England takes out week 12. New England takes out Dallas 13-9 in a defensive struggle in a game that was vintage New England. This was a vintage New England game. We've seen New England play this game many a times, especially in the early part of the Belichick-Brady era. New England wins it with their defense, makes a couple plays on offense. You make a couple mistakes and they take advantage of those mistakes and keep it and they don't, you know, they don't turn over the ball and then they find a way to win 
uh, you know, a, a, a game in bad weather. Um, again, New England, I don't love New England's offense right now. I think that they, in order to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, they're going to have to, they, I mean, they're more than, they're going to get, they're going to have to get healthy, of course, getting some new back, getting a couple other guys back, incorporating James White more. And, um, you know, people want to talk about Brady right now. I mean, who's he throwing to right now? I mean, they like, they just got the, the kid from Arizona State, the, the draft pick, the kill, uh, got him back. He made a couple, he made, yeah, touchdown catch yesterday. We also dropped a couple passes. So he still has to learn that offense. Uh, we know what they don't have at the tight end position. Um, now they're better. They have improved on the offensive line with, with win back. So listen, New England is New England. They know how to win. They're going to be right there at the end. I don't, again, despite, I know how, I know that their defense has played at a historic level, but I don't trust that offense in the play in the playoffs right now. I just don't. I just don't. You can easily defend that offense right now. They, they have a hard time moving the football. Dallas' defense is, Dallas' defense, you should be able to move the ball in Dallas' defense. Now, again, I know the weather was not great, but New England is accustomed to playing in that weather. So I don't think that had, you know, a little bit windy. Uh, I, you know, it was main thing. The main thing was throwing the ball. We know um, they, you know, we'll talk about uh, Dak Prescott having to struggle throwing the ball. But um, again, I, I think I think New England's offense right now is not a championship caliber offense. I don't think they can win a Super Bowl just depending on Tom Brady making a couple couple plays and blocking punts and things, and their and their defense turning people turning people over. I just don't think that they're going to win the Super Bowl that way, um, especially, especially whoever comes out the whoever comes out the AFC. I don't think they can beat Baltimore like that. I don't think they can beat whoever comes out the NFC. To be honest with you, like that. So we'll but we'll see again. This is a team that knows how to win. We know that the best coach team in the NFL. We know now Brady has slipped a bit, but I'm not going to say that he's you know can't play anymore or that he's on the level say Peyton Manning was. In his last season, he's not quite there. Right now, he just does not have the personnel offensively. He just doesn't. Uh, from the tight, from the running game being average to the receivers outside of no receiver outside element not being able to create separation. The flip side is you have the Dallas Cowboys, who, if not for you know one of the worst divisions in football, would be looking you know might be looking. Um, Looking like a team that wouldn't, that would not make the playoffs. Looking like a team that was uh, going to struggle to make the playoffs, which still may be the case. Philly has the advantage moving forward, despite the fact that Philly is one game behind Dallas. Really, two when you consider Dallas uh, has a uh, has a tiebreaker over them by virtue of the head-to-head. But they play again in Philadelphia, and in Week 16, and Philadelphia has one of the easiest schedule, has the easiest schedule of any team in the league. In their remaining uh, five games, Dallas right now again. Dallas cannot beat upper echelon teams. We know that. We know what Dak, Dak Prescott has done against the top teams: six touchdowns and seven interceptions. He's beat up on the good. He's beat up on the bad teams: the Washingtons of the world, the Giants of the world, teams like that, uh, Detroit's uh, of the world. So teams like that, Prescott has beaten up on, but against upper echelon quality teams. He's been average and the formula has been very simple. We're gonna take, we're gonna neutralize um, Ezekiel Elliott 
and, and force and force Dak Prescott to beat to beat us, and he has not been able to do that. And that's you know, listen, you want to talk about franchise superstar quarterbacks? That's what superstar quarterbacks do. When you take when you take away a, their running game or neutralize somebody a weapon, they rise above it. They are the difference. They are the difference uh, in terms of putting this, putting your team over the top. He is not quite there yet. His back is in the, you know, he's in that very good part of, in terms of upper echelon quarterbacks. He's in, you know, that class of very good. He's not great. He's not great. So let's keep that in mind. Jerry Jones goes on his normal soapbox post-game press conference, though it had a little different feel to it in regards to Jason basically just saying, I, I, without saying out there, our coaches got out coached. You know, it's one of those George Steinbrenner lines. You know, Steinbrenner, you know, used to talk all the time about the other team, you know, especially at the Yankee losses when they lose a playoff series about the other team's manager. And, you know, found himself constantly throwing Joe Torrey despite the championships under the bus when uh, Joe Torrey could could not win a championship after 2000. So they would lose to the Angels, and they would lose to the Angels, and the Red Sox, Red Sox, somebody like that. You hear Steinbrenner just, you know, make it like the other team's manager was uh, Casey Stengel. So you had that with Jerry Jones. The problem with Jerry Jones' is logic is, and the problem, the reason why Jerry doesn't have a leg to stand on, Jason Garrett is your guy. That's his guy. I mean, he could have fired Garrett, probably should have fired Garrett years ago. Garrett is Jerry's guy. So it's not like, you know, a situation where you inherited uh, Jason Garrett or when Jason Garrett, you know, Jason Garrett or Jason Garrett was picked by a general manager. No, 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 no. Jason Garrett is Jerry. Jerry is the front office. President, general manager, owner, he is the front office. Now, again, Dallas has done a much better job of last four or five years of of not going after the home run players in, in the college, drafting, building up the offensive line. Um, you know, Dak Prescott was not a first-round pick. So they, they've done an excellent job drafting over the past four or five years. With that being said, Jason, we know Jason Garrett is an average to mediocre, mediocre coach. And I'm not so sure that if they had a top coach, top five, top ten coach, that they would not be challenging, uh, say, the likes of San Francisco and, say, the likes of um, – Green Bay, San Francisco, to a lesser ex- uh, Green Bay to a lesser extent, the Saints. They wouldn't be challenging those top those top teams in the NFC for a right to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not so sure that they wouldn't be right there. Now, again, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team with the coaching, but in terms of personnel, Jerry has one thing right. He has assembled a enough talent that this team should not be six and five in that division. There's no way Dallas should be six and five in that division. Because the division is horrible. Now, they have beaten all the teams in that division so far. They're undefeated in that division. But when your division is not strong, you I mean, you should be at least even outside the division. Like, realistically, Dallas should probably be 7-4. Or eight and three, seven and four, eight and three, somewhere in that range. Should not be they should not be one game on just only one game on five hundred with that roster. You have a slightly above average quarterback, 
You have a top running back. You have a top offensive line. You have a decent, not great defense, but a decent enough defense. Not horrible defense, but a decent, uh, decent defense. And you're in a horrible, horrible, a horrible division. So again, and I thought this when they played the first time, and I still think it now that that division will come down to Week 16, Philadelphia and Dallas somehow, some way. And between those two teams right now, I give Dallas only give Dallas, I only give Dallas the edge because Dallas has a one game lead. So I, based on that, you give Dallas the edge from that standpoint. But I would not be surprised if Philadelphia won that division. Speaking of Philadelphia, tough loss at home to see uh, to the Seahawks. Uh, Philadelphia has lost now uh, three home games now: uh, New England, Seattle, and uh, Detroit, which was you know looks a loss that doesn't look good right now. A sloppy performance. Despite I thought the, thought the Philadelphia the Philadelphia defense played great for the most part. I know Seattle was able to run the ball effectively, but they neutralized Russell Wilson. Uh, again, you hold Seattle seventeen points, and despite constant short fields with the with the, all the turnovers, Wentz had a game to forget the four, with the four turnovers, four turnovers, two fumbles, a couple of picks. Uh, I know Philadelphia the state. The city, any Eagle fan on the East Coast is turning or, or around the country is turning on Wentz. I would just caution, throw caution to the wind. That offensive line is no longer a top five offensive line. It is a mediocre offensive line right now. Um, they have a average running game. They have no receivers right now. None. Nobody outside of Zach Ertz at the tight end position. No one scares me outside of Zach Ertz. You can neutralize Zach Ertz. Everybody else, you can just shut down. I mean, they have. I mean, Greg Ward Jr. was a quarterback in college. I mean, they have nothing. He has no one to throw to. No one is getting open. No one. That's it. Outside Zach Ertz is getting open. So, again, the Philadelphia fans are gonna, you know, give you the Nick Falk talk. That and that'll never die. That'll never end until Carson Wentz. If and when Carson Wentz ever wins a Super Bowl, so he's gonna to have to live with that until he gets to gets to and wins the Super Bowl. But uh, I'm telling you right now, they don't have anything around Carson Wentz that resembles a playoff type team. With the way, not only with the injuries, but with just their overall personnel, it's just not good enough out offensively. Their defense has returned back to championship form. Unfortunately, the offense the offense right now is nowhere near. Nowhere near a team that's going to challenge for a championship and will be will struggle mightily just to make the playoffs. Good thing they have going for them is they have to play what they they have to play Washington again. They have to play the Giants again, and they have to play the Dolphins. Those that's that's the great news that three that they have one of the weakest schedules. They have the weakest schedule down the stretch of any team uh, in the league. So. They have that going for them. They have a home game against Dallas. Had that going for them. It's not like Dallas is playing much better than them. But uh, this Philadelphia team is not a does not look the part of a playoff team. This offense can you know this offense struggles to move the ball. This offense again, if they cannot run the ball, then they have no chance because their receivers are just not getting. They're just they're, they're, their receivers are not getting any separation. 
I mean, those throwing windows that Wentz has thrown to are like, like, he might as well try to fit the ball to a keyhole. But again, he has to do a better job of protecting the ball. He had four turnovers in the game, especially with the fumbles. You know, knowing where the rushes come from, rushes the rushes coming from. He's in year three. You know, year three now. I know he was. You know, I know that he's missed some time with the injury, but he, but uh, he has to do a better job, much better job at perfecting protecting uh, the football. San Francisco with a woodshed special over uh, Green Bay, thirty-seven to eight. This game was like a first first round knockout. San Francisco, Cisco forces a turnover in the Green Bay's, I believe, second possession. They get a quick touchdown. It might even be Green Bay's first possession, but they get a quick touchdown out of that. And that was all she wrote as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. This game was over after the first quarter. They were all over Aaron Rodgers. I know Aaron Rodgers took some heat uh, this morning. I don't know why. Again, that when uh, Balaga went out, they had zero chance. Even if Balaga would have stayed in, that game could have been, you know, could have been doing 38, maybe 38-15. But uh, Green Bay, listen, all season long, there's been something a little off about Green Bay. I have not been fully, I have not fully bought, bought into the Green Bay being a championship copper team. And now you see they play, they play against top quality opposition that is not going to happen. Like they, you know, they have, um, and San Francisco is a legit, uh, is a legit championship caliber team. Uh, San Francisco just absolutely toyed with Green Bay in that game. They punked, they, I, for, for that matter, I think they punked Green Bay, to be honest with you. Uh, they physically just put pushed around Green Bay. Uh, Garofalo played well for the most part. San Francisco, and again, the key to San Francisco's offense. It's, it's George Kittle. Kittle, that offense looks with that, that offense looks above average when he's on the field. When he's not on the field, they look like a bottom. They look like a a you know. They look like a decent offense. They look non. The offense looks non-existent at best without him. He is that bigger. He is that bigger part of their offense. That guy right now, arguably, is the best tight end in the league. They look like they look like a completely different offense with him on the field. Um, I think Garofalo played well. I know he's been taking some heat, but the defense is where it starts with them. That front four, secondary is a little, is slightly underrated, I feel, but the, but the front four is as good as there is in the league right now, and they just toyed with the Green Bay offensive line, which, is a very, which by the way, is a very good offensive line. I mean, Green Bay has a top, one of the best offensive lines in the league, but it was it, when Belaga went out, they had zero chance, and I don't even think it would have made a difference had he – if he not had he not been injured, but again, I think Green Bay probably will make the playoffs. Um, but I don't think that Green Bay is a major factor, in spite of you know the brilliance of one Aaron Rodgers. Don't think Green Bay is a major factor uh, when it comes to those upper echelon teams, San Francisco's and New Orleans, New Orleans is up of the NFC, I would say to a much lesser extent Seattle. I don't think Seattle's as good as those two uh, two top teams. In the AMC, but Seattle's very good considering, you know, you look at what San Francisco did to Green Bay and, and the fact that Seattle was able to, to take out San Francisco last week to, you know, give you some insight on how good Seattle is, um, how good Seattle is, and see, how good Seattle is. And again, Seattle goes 
you think about what Seattle's done the last two weeks. They go to uh, had the Monday night game. Uh, well, not the last two weeks. But they had the Arizona game in between that, but um, they they've taken out Seattle and Philadelphia in two out of the last three weeks on the road. So give Seattle credit from that standpoint. But again, San Francisco. I think from start to finish has been the most consistent team in the NFL. Again, that is a championship defense. I'm a bigger fan of Garofalo than most are. I think uh, coming off an injury, you got to take that into consideration. I think Garofalo can be a franchise quarterback. Not quite there yet, but he has potential uh, to get to that point. Thought he played well yesterday. We know what their running backs and all the speed they have. So I think San Francisco is solid, is in a good shape right now. And again, that will be. Uh, I, you know, the clock is already ticking on that Baltimore-San Francisco game. That would be an epic regular season game. Carolina survives, uh, excuse me, Northern survives Carolina 34-31. Uh, the story of this game, you know, you could talk about Carolina's kicker who, you know, easily could be, could have got cut off, off of just a god-awful performance that was. But to me, this is about Michael Thomas. Uh, Michael Thomas has been, is, by far and away, and by and the gap maybe hasn't been this big since maybe Rand, when Randy Moss was at his was at his peak and his apex in the league. But the gap, Michael Thomas is by far and away the best receiver in football, and I mean, it really isn't close. I mean, this guy catches everything thrown his way. You have a 84% catch percentage. He has 124 targets, 104 catches. On pace to break Marvin uh, Harrison's uh, catch record, he you know averaged like 112 yards uh, a game in terms of receiving yards per game. That's 15 more yards than, than the next closest guy. So he is dominating position right now. He is heads and shoulders above anybody at the receiver position right now. Clearly, and there are some great receivers in the league, but they right now that guy is money uh, now. I'm, I'm going to take it easy about the MVP talk to, in terms of him being a consideration. You want to put him in the top, you want to put him in the top six or seven, be my guess. But uh, I, again, these, I, I wouldn't, you know, go there. I don't think a receiver will ever win the MVP. That's a, as a, is a quarterback dominated award, unless a defensive player like Aaron Donald goes out there and somebody goes out there and has like 30 sacks. But that, that's always going to go to a quarterback for the, uh, for the most part. But he's been again, phenomenal. He has been the, you know, he has been consistent since day one of his NFL career. This guy, if he plays long enough, he stays healthy, will break every receiving record known to man, with the with the possible exception of total touchdowns, because he does not, he gets touchdowns, but he doesn't get touchdowns like, you know, like like uh, Randy Moss and uh, Terrell is used to, and he's not again. Jerry Rice's touchdown record. That's 200 touchdowns, over 200 touchdowns. That's a lot of touchdown receptions. But would it shock me with the way this guy is going? Mm, depending on who the quarterback is um, uh, moving forward after Drew, once Drew Brees is gone. But besides that, again, the Saints did not defensively did not play well. Uh, Carolina had opportunities to win this game with the missed kicks, you know, going for twos, things of that nature, but they, they could not uh, get it done. Uh, out of the other games, it was, I was just curious about David Carr being benched. Uh, see, uh, the Raiders got embarrassed by the Jets, thirty-four to three, but the Raiders still are six and five, still in the playoff hunt. Carr came into that game 
completing 70% of his passes, 15 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, you have Mike Glennon as your backup. He's not the future. Uh, to me, this was a clear case of a, of a pure panic move, an impulsive move by John by John Gruden. Now, the problem with a move like this is you know Mike Glennon is not the answer. Even if you don't think that Carr is the answer for the next four or five years, but you know Glenn is not the answer. You know Glenn is not the answer. And it's not like the guy was playing awful football. He came into the season. Listen, they, the Raiders do not have a lot of weapons. They don't. Now, the running back is good. Jacobs is very good. And they have a night. They have a up. They have a buddy star, a tight end who's probably going to, who's going to be a star. So they have, you know, they have some decent pieces, but they had their receivers don't. They were those receivers don't scare anybody at all. So I, I think if you're John Gruden, I would have spent it and like, look, game was decided. Got Mike, you know, Mike Glenn some work. David Carr's our David Carr is our quarterback. Like right after the game. Instead, Gruden came out. David didn't want to come out. Excuse me, Derek didn't want to come out. I didn't want Derek to come out, but what I had to do what's best for the team. Okay. So Mike Glennon is what's best for the team. And again, you only scored three points. Let's keep that in mind. Separation, it was separation Sunday in the NFL. You had teams, again, the Baltimore's, the New England's, the San Francisco 49ers really pushing, you know, their way towards being the top teams in the league along with the Saints, separating themselves from, from some teams, you know, from teams like the Cowboys and Packers and, and teams of that ilk. Uh, there, you know, seems to be a, there is a hierarchy right now in the NFL occupied by about Three or four, three or four of those teams it is not. Now again, I don't think I, I don't think New England can win a championship with their offense in this current state. I don't. Don't think they can win a championship in it with their offense in this current state. I think the NFC, NFC is a two horse race between the Saints and the 49ers. Again, I don't think Seattle can get to a Super Bowl. I still don't, I, I still don't trust that defense in a big spot. Not in love with that defense. So I think you're dealing with right now. If you had, if I, how many teams can win the Super Bowl right now? I would say New England, Baltimore, New Orleans. I don't think San Francisco can win the Super Bowl right now. That could change. That could change, but I would say three and impossible. Three and impossible in the NFL right now. I went to see the Irishman Saturday, three and a half hours. Um, went to a morning show. Um, and nice crowd for you know that particular day, uh, that particular morning time of the day, because and it was at an independent theater. I'll say this, it was good, not great. Um, the de-aging thing only went so far. Like, the problem with it is, yeah, it could have probably taken off 10 years off those three guys. 
which is not a lot considering that if all those three guys are 70 plus. The bottom line is, you know, there were scenes where Robin De Niro had to move and he moved like someone that was over the age of 70. That you cannot de-age that through CGI. There's no unless he's gonna do a unless he's gonna have a stunt double. There's no eye in that. None. Um so I had a problem with that. If you're looking at, you know, Pacino's performance was electric. Uh by far the best performance in and there was some decent performance. There was some good performances in that. De Niro was great. Uh Pesci, eh, whatever. It that anybody could have played that. That was a stretch. Uh, he's just pretty, you know, that's you know, Scorsese and he's done a number of stuff number of things with uh with Scorsese. But uh Al Pacino was was off the charts. I mean this was a this was a vintage throwback Al Pacino performance. Al Pacino hasn't had performances good in, in twenty two years in over twenty years. Maybe not since Devil at Devil's uh advocate. That came out like in ninety seven. He was phenomenal. I mean, every scene, every time he was in the scene, you know, you had to be, your your antennas had to be up. Now, again, in a three and a half hour movie, there are going to be parts of the movie where it drags. It's just, I I don't, you know, there are not too many movies I've seen over three hours that at least least 10, 15, 20 minutes did not drag. Um, So they did have, certainly have parts where it dragged. Um, I think that, the movie, again, for the, the problem with this movie is all was 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 the de agent all that all the talk about that, the fact that they waited so long to come out, considering they drop a trailer in July, it comes out in November, and then you have to see it again. I saw it in the theater. I know it comes out on Netflix um, Wednesday, but I saw it. You know, I I much rather preferred to see it in a theater. Um, which I did, but uh, you know, it's, it, again, the performance by Pacino was great, De Niro was great. Uh, I thought Stephen Graham, who played Al Capone in Bulldog Empire, I thought he had a very good performance. Um, I thought that they showed some, you know, a lot of guilt and a lot of stuff. You know, listen, if you're someone who's afraid of aging, this is not the movie for you either, from that standpoint. If you're someone who didn't know a lot about the Jimmy Hoffa or that ordeal, this is the movie for you. It was, it was a bit of a history history lesson from that standpoint. But again, it was tough. It was hard to take Robert De Niro serious as a hitman at age seventy plus with the way he was moving. It was very that that was it's a tough sell. Very, it, it really was. It, so that part of it. Again, I know that they wanted those three guys. They were not going to hire younger actors. They didn't have those guys in the last hour of the movie. That wasn't going to happen. Scorsese was going to go was going to go balls to the wall in order to make sure that all three of those guys were a part of this movie from start to finish. This was a story that was told over the better part of 50, 50 years. So you you know, reason why the budget was over two hundred million dollars with the CGI and the the de-aging. Now again, the de-aging, I didn't think the de-aging was a big deal as far as facial. I mean, I, I just didn't think it was that big a deal, um, to be honest with you. But um, would I recommend going to see it? Going to see it? Yeah, sure. 
Sure. I just just don't just don't make the mistake of comparing it to prior Scorsese work. Just don't do that. But Pacino will get an Oscar nomination. I'm sure they'll get a nomination for, you know, the de aging part. They'll get a nomination for that. And I don't I'm not sure they get a best picture nomination. I, I don't think there's this will be a best picture nomination. Maybe 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 screenplay, maybe. But it won't get a best picture nomination. A lot going on in the NBA uh, last week. Uh, we're gonna deal with deal with the big news in the NBA in regards to mass changes coming by 2022, which is the 75th anniversary season of the NBA. There's talk of a reseeding the conference finals, uh, in season turn a tournament, and having the playoffs, having a seven through ten seed play in for the last two seeds of uh for the last for the seventh and eighth seed in terms of the playoffs. Now I'll go one by one. The reseeding the conference finals, I would leave it alone because to me, the gap between the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference is is minuscule right now. Now, top to bottom, the West is still better, but for the most part, with no Golden State, that has completely to me um kind of shifted, kind of equal things out a bit as far as the West and the East. Um, no, now again, the two LA teams are the favorites to win, but they're not automatics. I mean, those guys, it, listen, those guys, both those teams have injury concerns to say the least with, and are very fragile from an injury standpoint with Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and, and, a, and a LeBron James in the 17th year. So I would not receive the conference finals. Um, now, <clears throat> more than likely, I think that's the one that probably won't happen. As far as the in-season tournament during Christmas and the holiday season, that is going to happen because that is that, that situation situation where that's not going to add more games to the season. The NBA's ratings are down right now. And the reason why the ratings are down is because Golden State is horrible. You have LeBron on the West Coast. You have a, a litany of injuries. No Kevin Durant, no Steph Curry, no Zion Williamson. I mean, how many national television games has Golden State and the Pelicans been on and will be on? I would take Golden State just off national television. This is just that simple. I don't understand why the NBA continues to put them on national television. They, there's no reason why we should be watching Golden State. So I think the in-season tournament it's like soccer style. That's going to happen. That's definitely going to happen. Now, the playoff seeding. Um, the NBA would have it where the 7th and 8th seed meet and the ninth and, and 10th seed meet. The winner of the 7th and 8th seed would automatically get into the playoffs. It would be the automatic 7th seed. Uh, the loser... Of the eight of that game, seventh and eighth will play the winner of the ninth versus tenth seed, and the tenth seed, whoever lost that game, ninth versus tenth, will be out. Problem is, here's the problem with that to me, and I think that's I think more I think that's going to probably happen. I don't want to see a team a, a possible tenth seed in the playoffs. Like I like. Last year it would have been the Lakers at eight games under five hundred. I don't want to see a team 
six, seven, eight games under 500. I think all these teams should be above 500. Um, also, they're talking about the uh, talking about lower, you know, cutting down four games off the schedule to 78 games, which you know, which that which tells me that's his main games they can cut without cutting somebody. That's what that tells me. So you want to know why it's only four games? That is the number one reason: money. Now again, ratings are down with the NBA. It is not because of the quality of play. Uh, I I've watched more NBA games at the beginning of an NBA of this season than I have in any NBA season in recent memory. The in spite of the no Clay Thompson, no Steph Curry, no Kevin Durant, no Zion Williamson, the league is loaded from top to bottom with young talent. And I'm talking about even teams that are not good, and they're not that many. There are not that many terrible teams in the league, to be honest with you. So I wouldn't I wouldn't confuse the ratings with the pro, with the product on the floor. I think it's been a you know perfect storm of, of events. Uh, the Golden State thing was real as far as the popularity of that team, um, and also you have to consider that. It's November, it's December. It is still the emphasis is still gonna be on the football. And it takes people to really I don't start I wouldn't start gauging NBA ratings till after Christmas. And you gotta consider, you know, the load management. How many games is Kawhi missed nationally televised? And again, your two best teams right now in the league are West Coast team. People are in the bed. I mean, that's the bottom line. So uh, there's been a few things that have hurt ratings. I wouldn't get, go too crazy about it. But again, these changes, I, I would say, I wouldn't be surprised if all these changes happen by 2022. Three, at least three of these four changes are going to happen. I'll tell you that right now. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I hope everybody enjoys their Thanksgiving. I will see you soon. I'm out.